0: like that's what i came up with but the subtitle is how salvation works how does justification by faith works and he explains it now it takes me a while for me to soak in some things for me to understand but you almost have to dive back into the time frame that he's writing this because christianity had reached rome, rome was the largest city in the world at that time over a million people and it was a diverse city But it was a city uh, of, the culture was decadent. It was anything that you didn't want your family to be around, it was there in Rome. The congregation that he's writing to was made up of, of Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and they couldn't have come from two separate cultures. Isn't that interesting that these people, the commonality of Jesus being their Savior, was enough for them to get along? That's just amazing, isn't it? That Jesus is that, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to dwell on that. Uh, but in, in chapter 3, he sets the stage for chapter 4 because in chapter 3, Paul is a master of logic, reasoning, and argumentation. And this is how he dealt with the people on Mars Hill. He, he starts asking questions, and when you read chapter 3 and chapter 4, you see questions. This is his way of getting them to think about what he's saying. Not necessarily that they're there to provide the answer, but he wants them to think about the backdrop to justification by faith. For Jewish believers, for those who are Jewish believers, it was just tough for them to hear that they have a right relationship with God without anything to do with the law. Zero works from the law. That was against their thinking, what? All this that we've been doing? has nothing to do with our justification by faith and and he says yeah that's right i'm going to explain to you paul was saying i'm going to explain to you how you're right with god without the law without the works of the law on the other hand gentile converts have had this transformation but they haven't come from a a, law a history of regimentation and ritual and all of this they've come from a culture of just hedonism and so they're I think they're just glad to be forgiven. But how do you live that out? You just can't do what you want to do, which probably there were some people in that. It's like, hey, we get to go to heaven, and we get to have this, and I don't think we need to drop this, and I don't think we need to drop that. So he deals with both of those groups in the church. So I'm going to start with verse 1 of Romans chapter 4, so just follow along with me for a little bit here. And maybe I overstated a little bit. Um, What then shall we say that Abraham, here he goes with these questions. And of course he's talking in reference to what he's just written in chapter 3. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, while he was living on this earth, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. So he's saying, if Abraham could only say that I've done this and this and this, and therefore God has approved me, isn't that 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 last stanza, that last line in that one stanza that you have already approved of me, I was like, and I didn't even tell them that we was having communion, and they picked the communion song for today, isn't that interesting? He said, if, if Abraham had something to do that said, this is why God's approved me, then it would not be that he could boast before God. Because what do you do to impress God enough for him to approve you? How, how much do you have to do to impress God to the point that he approves you because of what you did? What does scripture say? Here's another question. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, if you've got a cross-reference Bible or study Bible, it will point you to Genesis 15 verse 6. That Abraham believed God, and God counted it, or credited him, and and whatever you are reading, it might be imputed him righteousness because of him believing. Now, the importance that uh, Genesis fifteen six says the time frame is before he's even come into a covenant relationship with God. This is in chapter fifteen, right before the animals are divided. And that smoking furnace that represents God's presence comes toward Abraham. This is the way they dealt with covenant and made a covenant with Abraham. Before that, God said, he believed and therefore I've counted it as righteous for him. So the word translated credited, if you have a King James, you might see this word translated imputed or reckoned. That's a good old southern word, is it? Reckon? It's all through there in King James. I don't know how anybody came to reckon everything so much. But this is an important word. Let me just give you a few things about this word. It's it's the word logizomai. It's a Greek word. It's a Greek verb. And it's only found 41 times in all the New Testament. But listen to this. 34 of them, it's Paul using it. Out of 41, 34 is Paul using it. 19 of the 34 are in the book of Romans. 11 out of the 19 is in chapter 4. Now, that's not an accident because logismai has a rich background. In classical Greek, logismai meant this, to charge to the account of or to credit the account. It was a business term. It was used in financial dealings. And here Paul is using a business term. Think about this. A business term that God was looking at Abraham's faith and credited his account with righteousness. Now, this is so important because, you know, I mentioned Martin Luther and he nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg Castle door. But he was the great reformer in 1517 he did that. We're coming coming up on what, 500 and, or, yeah, 503 years. Just recently, the 500th anniversary, uh, Eric Metaxas wrote a book on Luther for that anniversary, the 500th. But Martin Luther was reading Romans, and this truth nailed him. He was already a monk, a priest, in charge of a congregation in the Holy Roman Catholic Church. And in that moment, the revelation of God hit him that none of the things he was doing brought him into a right relationship with God that it was faith faith brought him into a right relationship with God and therefore he started preaching that but he wasn't alone William Tyndall was over in England he was he had realized the same thing and even before Luther rose up in the German church there was John Huss who predated him by a hundred years who already got that revelation he wasn't the first one he wasn't the only one there was a lot of people in church history was getting this revelation that god approves you based on righteousness alone and just one more point about that 200 years plus after luther had his revelation john wesley who had come to the colony of georgia for the anglican church as a missionary was a colossal failure as a missionary, got on a ship going back to England, encountered a storm that the Moravian missionaries, who were the charismatics of the 1700s, had no fear whatsoever. And he looked at them and says, why aren't you afraid? Well, we're here in the purpose of God. And if, it, if we live or die, it's, it's all for God's glory. And you probably thought that these people are crazy. But he goes to Aldergate Church on a Wednesday night and hears Luther's preface to Romans read from the pulpit and has his own born-again experience. He wasn't even a a born-again believer when he went to Georgia as a missionary. And it threw his world wide open. This is how he became the great preacher, uh, bringing many to to realize that justification is by faith and faith only. Verse 4. Now, through the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. If you work 40 hours a week and somebody comes to you that's supposed to give you your paycheck, they wouldn't say to you, you know what, out of the goodness of our heart, we really appreciate you working this week, but we just thought we would give you as a charitable gift uh, for your work here. Well, that wouldn't describe. They, they are obligated. You make a deal, you work for so many hours for, for an hourly wage or a salary, And this is what he's saying. If you work, there's an obligation. So you cannot work enough for God to be obligated to give you righteousness. This is his point. And he's using this word to drive this home. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, there it is. That's a faith word. That's to believe God who justifies the ungodly. Their faith is credited. There's logizmi again. It's counted, reckoned, imputed. It's credited to their account as righteousness. And then he says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And what a great example of what it is to have righteousness accredited to your account only because of faith. King David. He kind of had an issue in his life, did he not? If that canceled out, his relationship with God, it would be, the reverse of that would be, him not doing that brought him into a right relationship with God. Would that be true? If he didn't have one moment with Bathsheba, and if he didn't have her husband killed, and he didn't orchestrate this whole thing, would that really guarantee that he had a right relationship with God? No, because you you and I cannot do enough For God to be impressed with what we're doing, to say, you know what? I'm going to give you righteousness just because you're working so hard to be what you're supposed to be. I'm just going to go ahead and credit your account. No, he uses King David. In verse 6, he said, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness. Look at verse 7. Blessed are those, this is David writing in the Psalms. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. It gets better. Whose sins are covered. It gets better. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never, logizmi, will never add to their account. He doesn't add debt to your account because you blew it. The Lord chooses not to add debt to your account. You know why he doesn't do that? Because we got enough on that account to begin with. In fact, before we know the Lord, that's all we got. Is a bunch of debt on our debt side of the account. It's hard to challenge examples of Abraham and David, isn't it? And now Abraham, he didn't have a stellar track record after that, chapter fifteen. That was a pretty bad idea to have Hagar stand in for Sarah to get a son, wasn't it? And they're still paying for that over there. But God never you know, signed off on him because he did some things because in all of it, Abraham was choosing to believe that God is somehow going to do this promise. And then he tried to help that promise come to pass and it didn't work out very well. But here he is, he's still believing God. You know, I I think for many of us, we're too performance driven. We we feel like that God really loves us (laughs) when we're doing good when we're really on top of things and we're reading our Bible and we're praying and we're just loving worship music and, and then when we're not are doing very well and we're kind of burdened down we're even maybe depressed or whatever, it's just kind of like we equate that as that God is not really as good to us as he was when it was all going well, right? And this is the point he's making. I think from time to time we have a challenge as to work our way through those low spots But I tell you what, the truth we need to know is that he's already approved of you because you believed him. He's counted it to your credit. He's counted righteousness to your credit. Well, I don't know how we're doing, but I'm going to go, keep on going. How's that? Verse 9, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying, how do you... what part of that congregation do you think this is speaking to <laughs> these are for the Jewish believers benefit but it's also the Gentiles are gonna get something out of this because they look over to them and says you know what we don't have the history they have maybe they're closer to God than we are watch what he says here is this blessing is only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised that's one of the questions he poses these questions we have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness watch what he does here Because Abraham could not, you couldn't use the law that Abraham's fulfillment of the law and and adherence to the law made him right with God. Because he predated the law by hundreds of years. The only thing that he could get the the Jewish believers to look at is, but when did he get the righteousness of God? Was it before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised? He says it was before It was not after in verse 10, it was before. Verse 11, and he received circumcision as a sign. The circumcision was a seal or a sign of the righteousness that he already had been given before he was circumcised. Boy, I love this. I love love the book of Romans. If you're not enjoying this, I am. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham before he was circumcised. So his faith predates all of that. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise, that he would be the heir of the world. Think about, heir of the whole cosmos, not just the Middle East, not just that little land called Israel, but that he would be the heir. He would reach nations beyond that through his faith. And it even says that Abraham is not just the father of the people of the Jewish faith, of the Jewish you know regimentation he's the father of us all who believe faith means nothing in the promises if those who depend on the law are heirs faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there's no law there's no transgression therefore the promise comes by faith that promise that god gave abraham it comes by faith so that it may be grace by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, the Jewish people, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. <clears throat> the promise. You know, you, you and I cannot have faith in something that we've not, we not heard. He says that. How can people believe on him whom they have not heard? So the promise comes as we hear the gospel and faith Faith can only be activated by the truth of God's word. You, think, you remember Romans 3.23? Let me just go back to Romans 3 just for a moment. How many know by heart Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Royal Rangers, LTC, that was one of the verses you use in, in sharing the gospel with young boys that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you know, that's not even a complete sentence. The sentence includes the verse before that and the verse after that. And I want you to hear how this sounds when you read it in the context. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned And fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Do you think that changes verse 23 just a little bit? Because he's telling them you're all in the same boat. You've all fallen short. But you've also all been justified because you've believed. That he's reckoned you. He's imputed to you his righteousness. This is exactly what Paul is bringing to this mixture of Jewish and gentile believers and and he had to be really close to this church because look at chapter four uh, chapter 16 he names off i don't know maybe 30 people I, i counted it one time he names them all by name you know this one and that one and i know this one i know his mother and da 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 and he goes through all of those this meant that he was very involved with his church he knew a lot of people by name and as it is written verse 17 i have made you a father of many nations He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, listen to this, Abraham in hope, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Isn't it interesting that their deadness kind of relates to Christ dying. And their deadness was about to come to life through the promise of God. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited. There's that logism again. It was added to his account as righteousness the words that was credited to him were written not for him alone but for all of us in this room for us to whom god will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised jesus our lord from the dead and verse 25 summarizes it he was delivered over to death for our sins he was raised to life for our justification justification means to be put in a right relationship with god that God declares we're in a right relationship with him just because of faith. And I, and I just want to encourage you to marinate in this book when you can. It's an amazing treatise on Christianity. The, most of us can understand reconciling our checkbook. I mean, maybe there's people who don't have a checkbook now. Is you know. You know what, and even reconciliation is a business term, right? And it's like managing what you have here and what you have here, what your assets are and what your debt is. And spiritually, when we stood before God before we were saved, we didn't have anything on the assets. That all we had was liabilities. All we had was debt. And when Jesus went to the cross, he died on the cross to eliminate the debt but that would only bring us to a zero balance. He turns around and credits our account with his own righteousness, not ours, his, simply because we believe. Now one of the other places that this word is mentioned, I love 2 Corinthians five seventeen 17, any man being in crisis is a new creation. But it says that, to wit, I love the King James. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses against Not, logismi, not putting their trespasses against them. And has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That we are crying out to people to be reconciled to God. And you be reconciled to God. Not by what you do, but what you believe. I want to encourage you. To develop a mindset on how God looks at you because he looks at you through the prism of his cross and the empty tomb. He looks at you that way. He looks at you through the eyes of grace and mercy. And it's not because how well we perform, it's because we believed, and he helps us with the other stuff. But he doesn't dismiss us You know, I I was afraid of going to a drive-in movie when I was a teenager and even when I was in college because I was afraid the rapture was going to take place and I'd get left. And you know nobody's going to leave a drive-in theater. They'd miss the rapture. Now, I'm not going to ask people to raise their hands, but that was actually what I believed. I'm not going. Jesus could come and I'd be left there in that car. We were taught that. That doesn't fit this narrative does it now probably it wasn't a good idea to go anyway but we almost go from a like I, I said at at the book of life there's not a big pile of eraser dust that god raises your name and then he puts it back in and he erases your name and puts it back in every time he said lord i'm sorry i did that please forgive me okay i'll put your name back in the book of life because if we walk in the light and walking in light is being honest with him when we are not doing right and we've made a mistake and we've, we've done, we made a bad decision. His righteousness still is credited to our lives, not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of our faith. And I hope to goodness that people can get that in their soul. I want our praise team to come and we're going to have communion together and, and if you have not gotten one of the cups please make your way to the table and I'll explain what we're going to be doing um, there's a transparent um, plastic cover over the bread the foil cover is over the juice so be sure that you loosen that transparency film over the bread and that will help you not spill what's in the cup because you'd You'd be hard pressed to get the bread loose from all of that. So um, you know, we've we've really been needing to have communion more than we have been, so that's that's on me and I'm just saying, Lord, we're gonna have it on a regular basis because we need this time with you. I've asked people a question. Because to me, logic is, I probably overthink things. Probably nobody else here is like that. I just tend to overthink things. How many of your sins, how many of your sins did Jesus die on the cross for? Let me ask you in a different way. How many of your sins that he died for, your sins that he died for, were yet future okay the same word is the answer for both so he hasn't died for your life up to today and it's got to be dealt with tomorrow and next week and next month the, the debt in our lives is not the issue the issue is faith the issue has always been faith to look at him and say Lord You died for me before I even existed, so you saw me. You saw my life. I want you to stand with me, and we're going to commune with him. In the same time that that he shared this meal with his disciples, he, he used vine and branches as one of the illustrations of how we're connected to him. And in that, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So whatever we do that matters is because we're connected to the vine and what we're celebrating this morning is the connection to the vine he is the vine Lord I thank you for this bread your body broken for us unleavened bread a symbol of righteousness without yeast it was the bread that they made that night of passover so they could leave quickly. But it represented your sinless sacrifice, your sinless nature, hanging on the cross for our sin nature, for our sins. As we hold this bread, Lord, we confess you as Lord. We confess you as Savior. We surrender ourselves to you. Our lives are not our own. They belong entirely to you, Lord. And we stand here and those who are watching through live stream, I pray that all of us hearing these words would say, Lord, I surrender my life to you again. I confess you again as Lord and Savior. You are the Redeemer of my life. You're my only hope. You're my only strength. You're my only peace. I can do nothing without you, Lord. May you bless this bread as the body here, the body of Christ here together, collectively acknowledges you as our bread broken for us. In Jesus' name, let's receive Voluntarily giving yourself up. You that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. What a transfer of conditions. You laying down yourself so that we could live. So that we could have something that we could never manufacture on our own, and that's righteousness that God. This cup is a cup of covenant. Your blood that was shed for us. Your death was for our sins, but your resurrection was for our justification. And it's that that keeps us in right standing with you. take this together, I'm asking for you to renew us, refresh us in your presence, Lord, refresh us in healing. I pray uh, before we take this that your healing would be released in this house, released to people who are struggling with maladies that there's maybe no medical answer to it, who are listening and watching, Lord, may your healing be applied to them as well as we take this cup together in Jesus' name.